Joe and Amber, the podcast. Drama in the Western Conference in the NBA with the Minnesota Timberwolves as we head into play-in games starting tomorrow right here on ESPN Radio. You've got some double headers coming at you on Wednesday and Friday, so you're going to certainly want to be tuned into our airwaves for that. It is play-in week, Joe, in the NBA, but then the first round will be upon us. And the Los Angeles Clippers are going to be taking on Kevin Durant and the Phoenix Suns. Maybe not the first round that dreams are made of for Clippers fans. Let's bring in some help to talk about the Clips. Om Young Masuk, ESPN Clippers reporter, joining us here on Joe and Amber. And Om, thanks so much for joining us. Let's start with the latest on Paul George, because it seems like they're going to have to beat this Suns team without Paul George. Are we going to see him in the postseason at all if they advance? Uh, it's uncertain. Um, I would say maybe he's optimistic to think that he could return to this first-round series. They're certainly are going to have to start without him. Um, and Kawhi Leonard basically said the other day, Paul George is out, and we got to kind of treat it that way and move forward. So uh, Paul George on his podcast said that he has shed his uh, both his crutches and now just has a knee brace, which I saw. It's a, it's a knee brace that goes all the way up his right leg. Uh, just above his knee, but he has been exercising, doing cardio and rehabbing six days a week. Uh, so that, that, that's a, a positive sign because he could have had that knee immobilized for three weeks. Instead, he's been working out now for about a week. But to think that he would probably come back, be able to ramp up, do basketball activities, uh, be cleared for, for uh, contact, uh, possibly by the end of the first round, maybe there's a shot, uh, but it might be optimistic. What's the confidence level of the franchise heading into this matchup with Kevin Durant and the Suns, who have looked very good in the limited time Durant has been on the floor? It almost feels like if you go back and you watch some of the video clips of Ty Lue and the Clipper bench at the end of the season, they were kind of scoreboard watching, trying to avoid, or at least it appeared as if they might be trying to avoid the Phoenix matchup, but it all happened so fast at the end, they couldn't navigate what they needed to navigate. Yeah, I, I mean, I think if you, you know, they would never admit this, but if you were to ask them, uh, put them to a lie detector test, would they rather face the Sacramento Kings than Kevin Durant and the Phoenix Suns? Probably an inexperienced Sacramento Kings, but, uh, but we can't forget, and I know the Clippers know this, Sacramento gave them a lot of trouble offensively. They could not keep up with the Kings. There was that 176-175 double overtime game between the two teams. Um, so offensively, they had difficulty sticking with them. But I think they would probably rather face a young and experienced Kings team than Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and Chris Paul. But given that, I think the Clippers are, can look at this and say, we need to get game one because this Suns team has only really been together with Kevin Durant for, I think, eight games. Granted, they were 8-0 with him, but they got to come together very fast. They are not as deep as, say, perhaps the Clippers are. And if the Clippers can steal game one or one of these two games in Phoenix, uh, you got a shot with Kawhi Leonard because Kawhi Leonard is a two-time finals MVP. He certainly has been ramping up into playoff Kawhi. Um, So, you know, Kawhi has carried a heavy load without Paul George. But I think they like where they are offensively. Defensively, they've had trouble kind of putting it all together and playing full games like both offensively and defensively at the same time. But I do think they feel they have a shot with Kawhi Leonard because of the way he has been playing since January. 
Yeah, Kawhi Leonard has been on an absolute tear since January 1st and certainly maybe ahead of schedule for a player who said it's a two-year process coming back from a torn ACL. Om Young Masuk, he covers the Clippers for us here at ESPN, joining us here on Joe and Amber. What does this mean for Russell Westbrook? I mean, I don't think the Clips really brought him in to be a third star, so to speak, but without Paul George in the postseason, what do we expect Westbrook's role to be? Well, they didn't. They did not bring in Russell Westbrook to say be the you know to make them a big three. Uh, the vision was with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Russell would play off of them, uh, be able to push tempo, be another guy who could create his own shot by getting to the rim, and certainly find guys open with his passing ability, and then give them this energy and juice that they sometimes kind of lack uh, a voice uh, in the locker room to really kind of fire them up. Uh, because Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are quiet guys by nature. They tend to lead by example. But with Paul George out, Russell Westbrook has stepped up. And I got to tell you, like, since this start, when they, got, uh, when they got Russell Westbrook right before the All-Star break, he has fit in about as perfectly as the Clippers could hope. They laid out these guidelines for him of what they needed for him, what they wanted, and what they didn't want for him. And he pretty much has done that and more. With Paul George out, he has stepped up in multiple games and kind of won then games by kind of being the guy that really has looked like vintage Russ at times, attacking to the rim with that relentless pressure and aggression, um, being able to pass and rebound, getting steals and deflections. He's looked very good. Against the, against the Suns, though, he's going to have to be kind of that vintage Russ, but still play under control, not take like any shots quick in the shot clock or be baited into taking open threes that are out of rhythm, He's going to have to play the way he has, but maybe step it up a little bit more because I would imagine that Monty Williams is going to look into double-teaming Kawhi Leonard. He didn't double-team Kawhi Leonard the other day, probably like looking to the fact that they wanted to play uh, a banged-up Clippers team without Paul George in the first round, so they did not double-team him down the stretch. I would expect things to be a little bit differently in this first round, so I would also expect to see Russell Westbrook getting plenty of opportunities to score. Covering the Clippers, you've gotten a good look at every team in the Western Conference and beyond. I mean, it's funny. Just a few years ago, it was the Warriors and everybody else. There was no intrigue. It was just how dominant would the Warriors be. And now this year, it feels like everybody's got a shot because everybody's got a flaw. Warriors-Kings. The Warriors are priced as a huge favorite to win that series, but the Kings have been the better team this season. Do you think they're going to give the Warriors a fight or are the Warriors going to flip this magical switch and put them away? I think they're going to give the Warriors a fight. But, but the thing is, the Warriors now, for the second straight postseason, it's kind of falling their way where they get to face a young, inexperienced team in the playoffs. Last year in the first round, they got past Denver. Jokic was a handful, but there was no Jamal Murray, no Michael Porter Jr. to deal with. They were both injured. They moved on. Second round, they faced Memphis. Memphis was a handful with John Morant, but then John Morant gets hurt. And the rest of the team's just not experienced enough to really pull it out. And even when Ja came back, they weren't experienced enough to, to really know how to win at the end of games in the playoffs against a team like Golden State. And then in the, in the Western Conference Finals, they faced a Dallas team that, yes, Doncic and Brunson were great, but also a team that shouldn't have been there and also was inexperienced as well. And then even in the finals, same thing with Boston. If Boston was experienced enough to know how to win at home and defend their home turf and also win late in games, Golden State might not be the defending champs, but they are. And so now here we are again in the first round. They face a young upstart team in Sacramento who Mike Brown knows them as well as anybody else. 
And certainly there's going to be that dynamic where the Kings want to really stick it to Golden State, their neighbors down south. Um, it's going to be really fascinating to watch, but <laughs> this team knows how to turn it on. You saw it yesterday when they just ran Portland out of the gym in the first quarter, taking care of business. I mean, it's been a, you don't see that very often in the NBA anymore where somebody just takes care of business right away. It's always just like a little bit of a struggle until they finally turned like the Clippers turned it on in the fourth quarter against the Sun team that trotted out nobody. Golden State, though, took care of business. They're just a confident team around this time of year. They know what to do. I would say the only thing that's kind of going to be interesting to watch is them incorporating Andrew Wiggins back into the mix. They badly need him, but we haven't seen Andrew Wiggins in a long time. So I would say at least their championship experience with, with uh, Draymond Green, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson – they brought back Gary Payton, the second. I just think this team is going to know what to do, and in the long run, they'll find a way to get past Sacramento. Things falling into place for Golden State, things falling into place for the Los Angeles Lakers, uh, playing a team without Rudy Gobert and Jaden McDaniels. It's funny uh, how history seems to be repeating itself. Ohm Young Masuk, ESPN Clippers reporter. Ohm, thanks so much for stopping by. All right, anytime. Thanks for having me, guys. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. At Progressive, they're making things even easier. They'll help you bundle your home and car insurance together so you can save on both. Learn more at Progressive.com or at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE. Coming up next, could the number three overall pick in the NFL draft be on the move? That's next. ESPN Radio is also on the ESPN app. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. We're just weeks into this year, and the news is already nonstop. Two overseas wars, a presidential election already testing the democratic process, a former president in court. It can feel impossible to keep up with, but we can help. I'm Brad Milkey, the host of Start Here, the daily podcast from ABC News. Every morning, my team and I get you caught up on the day's news in a quick, straightforward way that's easy to understand. So kickstart your morning. Start smart with Start Here and ABC News, because staying informed shouldn't feel like a chore. Reggie White, who's a defensive end for the Green Bay Packers, says that the firebombing of his church in Knoxville, Tennessee this week was the work of racists who may have been trying to hurt him. First there was one fire, then there was another, then there was another. It wasn't just Reggie's church that burnt down. Hundreds of churches burned in the 90s. I think we have a major problem in our country that we don't want to admit, and that has to do with racism. Was this 1996 or 1956? 30 for 30 podcast and Antsgate presents Through the Flames. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Apparently, the Arizona Cardinals have been very busy as we head towards the NFL draft at the end of this month. Joe, our own Adam Schefter, was reporting that Arizona has had discussions with six teams about trading out of that number three overall selection. Six teams. Now, they probably aren't calling the Cardinals because they want to draft Will Anderson Jr., right? I mean, there is one reason that any of those teams are trying to trade up into number three. 
And it's to get a quarterback. That's more teams, I think, than I would have expected. I certainly would have expected several, the Colts being on the top of that list at number four. But I don't think I would have expected six to have already been fielding those conversations. So I always like digging through these tweets and trying to figure out, you know, like where they came from. And then on top of that, what's the why behind letting this out? So let's ask ourselves this. Here's how the tweet is phrased. At least six teams have inquired with the Arizona Cardinals about trading up for the third overall pick in the upcoming April 27th NFL draft per league sources. Cardinals still mulling whether to move the pick or make it. So Schefter did one of two things. He spoke to every team in the NFL about whether or not they were trading up to three. And then he got to the point where there were six. And then he called the Cardinals and asked what they were doing. And they said they're still mulling it. And then he sent out the tweet or the Cardinals told him this. Mm-hmm. And if the Cardinals told him this, do we think they're being 100% honest? Like, it's that line in, I probably am not allowed to say this, but that line in American Pie 2 about, like, if a guy tells you how many, we'll say, relationships, he's lying by a factor of three, whereas if a a girl tells you. I don't understand why people ask that question. Stop asking that question. It's a dumb question. Also, don't ask what. Don't ask that question. Leave that question. Don't ask that question. If you're over the age of 25, do not ask that question. If you're over the age of 20, don't ask that question. But if Schefter's talking to them and you're the Cardinals, are you going to be honest and be like, look, I'm going to be completely honest with you. It's at least six teams, okay? At least six. If it's at least six, then I would bump it up. I'd say it's at least eight. Why why wouldn't you add a couple on top? Because I think you're really going to try to drum up some interest here because you understand you have an interesting and valuable piece because if it goes quarterback, quarterback, everyone knows Indy needs a quarterback at four. You're three. You're a great trade partner. Two things I want to bring up on this. Number one, there has been a massive shift in the odds for who's going to go number one overall. For the last month, it has been C.J. Stroud as the big favorite out of Ohio State going to Carolina. That is no longer the case. A lot of Bryce Young money has come in since Friday. Bryce hmm. Young is now a big favorite to go number one overall. Minus 220. So keep that in mind. What happened? Number two. Their uh, money, money is uh, just okay. That's just where the money. So there wasn't like some yes. report or anything. Respected that was... money, respected okay. money hit the market and the odds makers adjusted uh, their odds as a result. Now, I want to throw another rumor out there that's floating around. There is a thought. I'm not saying this is a report. I'm just saying there's a thought that if Bryce Young goes number one to the Carolina Panthers, that Houston, who is really in love with Bryce Young, according to this rumor, might pass on a quarterback altogether at two and take mm-hmm. the best available player, then go out and have another miserable season, then re-enter the market next year looking to grab Caleb Williams or Drake May. Williams from USC, Drake May at North Carolina. That could be the thought process, which means Bryce Young could be available, or excuse me, Stroud, Richardson, and Levis, all available at three, making Arizona's pick even more valuable now for a trade. Uh, That's a lot of potential moving parts. But even with Arizona sitting there at number three, I would imagine that at least some of those suitors, even if they're inflating the number, Joe, because like you said, everybody lies. Uh, But (laughs) just even if they're in right, which direction? Well, some people cut that number. Let's be honest. Uh, So it's that's why you don't ask the question, people. No one's honest. (laughs) Don't ask the question. That's my least advice. I promise you, you think she's honest with you. She's not. Everyone's lying. Anyways, the point is (laughs) back to football. Uh, the I do think with the Indianapolis Colts sitting there at four overall, what the Cardinals are effectively doing, no matter how many teams have actually reached out to them, is it has to be making the Colts nervous. 
Because if you're the Colts sitting there at four and you are particularly in love with a certain quarterback, and yes, you know you're probably out on getting CJ and you're probably out on getting Bryce, but you really love Will Levis or you really love AR or whoever your person is, then you may be sitting there in a situation. I can't let another team jump ahead of me and then take the guy that I think I'm going to end up getting. Because it's pretty obvious here that the Arizona Cardinals are not going to be taking a quarterback. From the Arizona perspective, of why not trade back? Like, this seems like a no-brainer to me. But also, if you are going to trade back, if you're Arizona, you've been bad. You still probably want to get one of these guys like Tyree Wilson or Will Anderson Jr. or Jalen Carter. You can't trade back far or you're not going to get those guys. Like, yes, you don't need the number three overall pick because that's going to be a quarterback. But you still need to be there somewhere, four, five, six. So I still think we're talking Indianapolis, Seattle maybe, Detroit, you have to be trading with one of those teams right there pretty close to you. So I, I would think if we're being realistic about who's making those phone calls from the from the Arizona perspective, you might not be entertaining, you know, like a Tennessee Titans that currently has the 11th overall pick right now because maybe that's too far outside for you they'd to get to your you guy, more. even if your guy is not a quarterback. They'd probably just have to end up giving you more. They'd have to so give you that's... a lot more. That's what you got to wrestle with. I mean, there are rumors that the Bears traded from one down to nine. They picked up a bunch of assets. And then there's talk that they might even try to move back again. Keep picking up draft picks. Just keep building. Keep adding youth. Keep adding talent. Keep adding assets. I mean, if if you're taking the Cardinals at their word, and saying six teams, at least six teams have inquired, you got to figure Indianapolis is one of them because they're right behind you, so they might want to go up one spot. That would mean Arizona probably doesn't get the biggest draft package, but they only move back one spot. They can still get a guy like Will Anderson, the edge rusher out of uh, Alabama. Seattle, they could trade again. Trade up one, then trade again. Absolutely. Could trade again as well. Seattle's sitting there at five. If they're looking to grab a guy like Anthony Richardson to put behind Geno Smith, they could be in play. Detroit sitting there at six. How much do they love Jared Goff? The Raiders at seven signed Garoppolo, but we all know he's not the long-term five to ten-year answer. Atlanta at eight. They're trying to convince everyone Desmond Ritter's their guy. Maybe, but there's some intrigue there. Bears at nine. They're okay. Eagles at ten. They're okay. Titans at 11. They could use the help. Houston again at 12. The Jets at 13. They, they, they're saying Aaron Rodgers is done, that they're going to have that figured out, so they wouldn't be coming up. Patriots at 14, could they be the sleeper team? Could they end up trading Mac Jones and bringing in someone else? A lot of people in Minnesota think the Vikings could come flying up for a quarterback too. That's the one that's been making the rounds. That's interesting. I didn't think about Minnesota. So realistically, we're talking Titans, who else Raiders, we Raiders, Raiders for Lions. sure have to have called. Lions, Seattle, in Indianapolis. So five, that's already five. So then if you throw in one of those other teams that you mentioned, like the Vikings. So maybe they aren't inflating the number, Joe. I mean, it, already I, I feel like five it. of those teams would have made the phone call. Maybe they're I still honest. think they're inflating it because if look if it's at least six, I'm lying and adding a couple on top. You trade. This is the time of year where everyone lies and they're. You it's like you're allowed crazy. to. It's encouraging. You like fifteen teams have called me. They I'd be like, like look, I have Chiefs heard. Gave us a call. I have heard from thirty six teams about this pick. <laughs> okay, at least thirty six teams have called. Everyone in the NFL, the XFL's calling, the USFL's calling. This is going to take a, 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 a arsenal I think of picks Adam to get. Adam Schefter might be on to you if you went thirty six. ESPN Radio's present. By progressive insurance. More Joe and Amber coming up next. Death is the only punishment here. Now streaming. FX's Shogun. My master asks, what do you seek here? 
to vanquish our common enemies. Based on the global bestseller by James Clavell. War is coming. The epic saga of war, passion, and power. How'd it come? FX's Shogun, now streaming on Hulu. Amber Wilson and Joe Fortma hanging out with you here on ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. Find him on social media at Joe Fortma. You can find me as well at Amber W Sports. The Baltimore Ravens, they made the move. They brought in a weapon. We think it's for Lamar Jackson. Maybe it's for Tyler Huntley regardless of who's throwing the football to Odell Beckham Jr. He is now a Baltimore Raven. They handed him a one-year deal worth up to $18 million. $15 million of that is guaranteed, according to our very own Adam Schefter. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive. Your small businesses keep you on the go. Progressive Commercial Insurance keeps your policy within reach with their easy-to-use mobile app. Learn more at progressivecommercial.com. So what does this mean for Lamar Jackson. Joe, Lamar, you mentioned it when we discussed this earlier in the show. You can check out the pod if you missed anything here on Joe and Amber on the ESPN app. Lamar was posting a screenshot of him and Odell Beckham Jr. on FaceTime. Obviously, those two are communicating. They're chumming it up. You're theorizing they wouldn't be doing so if Lamar is not planning to be a Raven. Exactly. Exactly. On one hand, if you're OBJ, you're going to take your time, which he's been doing for quite some time, trying to figure out what's going to be the best landing spot. I'm sure there are a lot of variables that come into play. Money's going to be one, but he probably wants to compete and win as well. All right? I think he's going to say that. I don't think it's going to be money as the only thing. He's going to go out there and he's going to want to compete. So you're going to look for teams that can win. Now, if you're looking at the Ravens, you've got to be thinking to yourself, well, now wait a minute. Am I playing with Lamar Jackson or am I playing with someone else? I'm not going to sign unless this gets resolved. Maybe some guys wouldn't care and they'd sign regardless. Maybe they're mercenary types. But if Beckham wants to know who his quarterback's going to be, and I think that's a fair question considering some of the things he's gone through in his career when he hasn't had good quarterback play, he would probably ask that. He would probably talk to Lamar Jackson. And if Lamar was 100% set on not being in Baltimore, he's probably going to let him know. And OBJ's probably going to pass. So the fact that he's signed and they're posting pics on social media of the two of them talking together, what kind of ruse would this be if it turned out Lamar Jackson was not going to be a Raven? Like, what's the point of all this, right? It would make no sense. So, yeah, I think this is great sign for Ravens fans and the Ravens that they've got to be getting close to getting a deal done. In part, I feel like Lamar Jackson is just loving being in that social media sphere right now where he's just kind of messing with us all. Yeah. Like, he's loving the power of social media, right? Like, like he's Rogers. all of a sudden unbelievably active. He's He is Aaron Rodgers. He yep. is Lamar Jackson is becoming Aaron Rodgers. And he's kind of a little bit of a troll job on all of us because we're all out here every single day waiting and wondering what's happening with Lamar Jackson. And he loves that he has the power in his hands in terms of the information that we have. And he's given us little snippets here and there. It's, you know, subtweeting. It's trolling. It's whatever this would be called by the kids these days what is this like sub instagramming once you take the screenshot of facetime i don't know <laughs> the point is he's making waves by showing us that he's facetiming with obj i'm not with you that i think it's 
given then that Lamar staying with Baltimore, because I think OBJ makes this decision, frankly, maybe with or without Lamar Jackson. I think Odell Beckham Jr. is making this decision based on money because if his biggest concern, and I'm not saying he doesn't want to play with Lamar. Of course he wants to play with Lamar Jackson, but if his biggest concern is winning a championship on a championship ready team with the best quarterback throwing him the football, then he wouldn't have canceled his meeting with the New York Jets the next day who are claiming that they, that they're getting Aaron Rodgers, that that's a done deal at this point, even though it's not a done deal and none of us have seen it, but they're leading us to believe that that is actually in fact happening. If you're OBJ and all you care about is winning a championship, wouldn't that team that's getting Aaron Rodgers with that defense be the team that you at least hear out? That's why I'm thinking that with Baltimore, because he was scheduled to meet with the Jets the next day, he ends up signing with Baltimore the day before. I'm thinking it was about money. Strictly about money, or did you think anything Mostly else came about into money. play? Mostly about I mean, money. Not, okay. You know, again, I'm not saying be. he doesn't go to the Ravens. If about money, about opportunity to play, like I think OBJ probably looks at that wide receiver room where he's the only dude who's ever had a thousand yard season, nevertheless five of them, and I think he's thinking, okay, this is a place I can shine, right, and and make an impact and get the playing time. Like I think he's probably looking at all of those things. But also the contract, $18 yeah, and million I, if he hits his money. If I'm not mistaken, I think the, the Meadowlands is turf as well, and Baltimore plays on grass. And I think that's a factor for him with given the injuries he's sustained and how he's sustained them throughout the course of his career. So maybe that factored in a little bit. I'm not saying that was a huge, a huge factor, but I certainly think that may have played in a little bit. I don't know. I can see your point. I don't necessarily disagree it just seems so odd that given some of the issues he had in Cleveland with Baker Mayfield at quarterback, where they just couldn't get him the ball. And he was coming off that run in New York where he was putting up monster numbers that he would want to know if he's signing in Baltimore. Look, is Jackson going to be back? I don't need a definitive answer, but is it close or is it so irreparably damaged that it's going to be Huntley or somebody else? I, I would venture. Always hating on that, Huntley. Pro Bowl Huntley. Yeah. The funny, the it's, it's crazy how I got turned around on that because Huntley made me a lot of money two seasons ago when he was filling in for Lamar Jackson. Like, he covered a lot of spreads. He was capable. So I don't know why I suddenly took on this anti-Tyler Huntley I do um, feel like you're a position. big anti-Tyler Huntley. <laughs> I like him, though. I want to make it very clear. I do like him. It feels like it's always in the context of, like, I'm trying to defend Lamar, and then when you talk about what happens to the Ravens without Lamar, you're like, yeah, it's going to be a huge downgrade because it's Lamar to Huntley. And Huntley's sitting there like, what do I do to you, bro? Like, right. what's with the shrapnel? It's like, <laughs> eh, it's, I'm not really trying to take you out. It's just to highlight how impressive Lamar is. But, yeah, I can understand if you'd be offended. Uh, we love you, Ty- Tyler Huntley. You're, you're, you're big on this show. I want to make that very, very clear. All right, that might be taking it a little bit too far. I don't know it if we need to is. suck up to Tyler Huntley that uh, that much. Jeremy Fowler, he is ESPN's NFL reporter. He was on Get Up today. He discussed what signing OBJ means for Lamar Jackson. I just texted with somebody in the Ravens building a little while ago and was told, hopefully this signing helps bring back Lamar Jackson. That's sort of the feeling that, hey, look, if you want to come and sign that franchise tag tender, this is a nudge to let you know we got a little bit of help here. you got a guy that you can go to in key moments, and maybe it's something to build on. The Ravens truly don't know as of now, as far as my understanding, what Lamar is going to do. There's no real momentum on the contract front. So they have been in full contingency mode looking for quarterbacks in free agency and the draft. But this could be considered a little bit of positive momentum. So Fowler is quite literally telling you there, Joe, that the Ravens are doing this in part to offer an olive branch to Lamar Jackson to say to give him 
more reason to sign at least that franchise tag, nevertheless agree to a long-term deal with them. Yeah, so I guess they're still trying to win him over. That I, that that audio would have helped me out about three minutes ago, right oh, before I went gosh. on the rant, where I was like, "Yeah, no, it's all good. They've already figured it out." And then Fowler's like, "No, they're still trying to uh, they're still trying to impress them." I don't know. I, don't I know like being right on the she back end though, where I told you that I don't think that it may, and then I was like, it's "Bam, fair. drop the hammer. Look how right I am." Marcus Spears, ESPN's football. And I'm just kidding. I had no idea what that audio said. Marcus Spears, ESPN football analyst, was on Get Up. He said that this is a risk for Baltimore. That's a big commitment for the Ravens mm-hmm. not to know if they're going to have a quarterback that legitimizes them as a playoff team. Remember this, too. This is about the big picture, right? You look at Od- Odell Beckham Jr. and you think about him coming to the Ravens. That's about production. That's about this team going to a level that they hadn't been able to go to. The Ravens have always been able to run the football. They put together an offensive line. That's something that we always talked about, and that's how they won with the greatness of Lamar Jackson and what he's been able to do. But now a new offensive coordinator, you give a receiver coming off of two ACLs, and I'm not saying that negatively, but I was shocked to see that they gave him $15 million mm-hmm. guaranteed to, in, in a one-year deal. I guess the Ravens figured, why not? I mean, I understand Marcus Spears is saying it's a risk, but really, what is the risk? Like, who are they not paying because they gave a one-year deal to OBJ? Why not swing even if you miss? It's a lot of money. I think it's why OBJ ends up there. I think it's why OBJ is comfortable signing there with or without Lamar, frankly, but also it allows the Ravens to say, man, we tried everything. Short of handing this dude the $300 million guarantee that it seems like he's asking for, we tried everything, including bringing in the splashy, splashy free agent name in the wide receiver room. If I'm Lamar, I'd probably call them up, and it's like, why not just take that $15 million and tack it on to your last offer to me and don't sign OBJ? And let me have that money. I don't think and that's getting them near that number, though. That he, that he, I don't no. think $15 million's doing it. I don't think they're $15, 15 like, million apart, I'm guessing. Still got to come up with like another 90 probably somewhere. <laughs> right. I, I mean, I, it, it, the, the Ravens are doing the right thing because they have a much better chance of winning and competing with Lamar Jackson than they do with whatever plan B is. Because as of right now, there doesn't seem to be a plan B that's as viable as Lamar Jackson. For all his flaws, which aren't many, but yeah, he gets hurt a little bit. Outside of that, the dude can play. And with a new offensive coordinator and an upgraded set of weapons around him, solid coaching, an excellent running game, and one of the league's best defenses, this is a team that has to get something done because they have a legitimate Super Bowl window here. Yes, the division is difficult with the Bengals. Yes, the conference is difficult with Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and all these other teams that are on the rise. But Lamar Jackson gives you the best bet. I've always said with the Ravens, you bet on them during the regular season, and then you bet against them in the playoffs. Because for some reason, the way they play doesn't translate well to the postseason or at least putting together three or four consecutive wins against elite competition. But during the regular season, look out. It is tough to game plan for them on a short week with, the, with everything they throw at you. The lack of postseason production probably has something to do with why they don't love the idea of handing him $300 million guaranteed yeah. dollars. Coming up next here on Joe and Amber, we open up the phone lines to you. Triple Eight, say ESPN. What are your thoughts on the Ravens signing OBJ, the NBA playoffs? Bring us your hottest takes, whatever you got. 888-729-3776. We play some caller roulette coming up next. 
The phone lines are open here on Joe and Amber. If you want to chime in to the conversation, triple eight, say ESPN, eight eight eight. 729-3776. We love when you join the conversation. Joe, the Masters. Oh, the mas the Masters. Yeah, over you gotta the drop weekend. the voice. There you go. There you go. We we have to give it the respect that it deserves. And John Rom. He ends up getting it done in one that looked like for days it was Brooks Kepka's to win. I don't know if he choked so much. He just didn't play particularly well over the weekend. He had a very dominant lead, though, as we headed into even Sunday. He ends up losing this thing. Uh, he comes in, what, third on the leaderboard? Phil Mickelson ends up second on the leaderboard. A Phil Mickelson who is 52, 53? Phil Mickelson? 52, 53. I believe. Oh, 53 now, Phil Mickelson. 53 years old. I believe so. Both of those guys live golfers. Patrick Reed also did very well. Live golfer. A lot of live golfers here at the top of the leaderboard for the Masters. Phil shot 65 on Sunday. He was absolutely incredible. He had a ten, he was 10 strokes behind Brooks Kepka in terms of um, who would be the low live golfer. There was a prop. There was a prop. Kepka had a 10 shot lead on him, and Kepka shot 75. Mickelson shot 65. And they pushed. Absolutely amazing. For the leader, John Rahm, well-earned. He's now won this. He's won the United States Open. He is one of the absolute best in the business. Calm and steady the entire way. This is a guy that opened the tournament with a four-putt. He four-putted the first hole of the entire Masters. double he blamed on Zach Ertz. Yeah. And then he went on to shoot 65 that day. He still shot a 65 despite a four-putt to open the entire thing. So he was incredible. I'll say this about Mickelson. When he sunk that putt on the 18th for a 65 at his age and and given everything he's done with the sport, it is amazing how the crowd reacted. Because if he had never jumped to live and been a part of all of that, Mm -hmm. he would have gotten one of the loudest reactions in Masters history and in golf history because he used to be so beloved. I mean, this guy had insider trading beefs and no one seemed to care about any of that. And now when you heard that, like, smattering of applause, you couldn't help but think, my God, look at what this guy has done to his legacy. He has absolutely tarnished his legacy. It's very sad to see. He has. I do think with Mickelson it extends beyond just live, like you said. But all of these live golfers, I think it's difficult. It's difficult for the golf fan. It's difficult for the golf consumer. It's difficult for the the television deals (laughs) it's difficult if for these companies it's difficult for the relationships with the pga i mean i think it's just a very difficult unsettling time in golf because of the existence of live and at the masters you saw these guys who were dominating who are the live golfers but also one of the reasons that i think it was a bit of a surprise like with brooks kepka for example Nobody's been watching Brooks Kepka play golf recently. Like, it's very obvious Kepka is back after suffering a very terrible injury, shattering his kneecap in 2021 is the easy way to say it. And then he comes all the way back, and now he's playing Brooks Kepka level golf again, although he was doing it, I think, the last time he played was in Orlando in a live golf event that none of us were watching, Joe, and that's just the reality of it. If we were, we would have probably seen, headed into the Masters, that Brooks is, you know, a, a likely contender here at the top. What does that mean for the odds makers from a betting perspective? Because 
how does that work with live? Like, you, like live is a different, it's a different type of, it's a different level of competition. It's a very different, yeah, different type format. of event and it's a very different type of consumption of the event. Yeah. I mean, they came into this, uh, Kepka had won the week before and he had talked, Orlando, he was talking yeah. about how great he was feeling. So there was some steam on him, meaning some money hit the market in favor of Kepka coming into the tournament. Um, I don't think a lot of people thought it would be this good. I thought they thought he would contend. I don't think they thought they didn't think he was going to jump out and then go on the run that he ran on because he played brilliant golf for pretty much the better part of three rounds before he absolutely collapsed on Sunday. But it's not the last guy that that's going to happen to, and it's not the first guy that that's happened to. It's a pressure spot. I was trying to teach my oldest, who's six years old, about it. I was like, watch these guys. I was like, you'll learn as you grow up how important and how difficult this sport and this this tournament is. But you play soccer. You've played t-ball. You play flag football now. You don't have teammates out there. You got nobody to bail you out. If you're having a bad day, it's you. If you're having a good day, it is you. The the ability, the mental gymnastics you need to be able to perform, to keep yourself calm, to be able to execute with all those people and everybody watching, it is phenomenal to see how calm Rom kept himself. And again, to another extent, the way Mickelson played. It seemed like that guy didn't have a care in the world the way he tore apart the course on Sunday. Mickelson is eight years older than the oldest golfer to ever win the Masters, who was Jack Nicholas back in 1986 when he won it at 46 years old. So Mickelson would have been quite significantly older in terms of setting that record. He ends up coming in second tied with Brooks Kepka. He wins just over a million and a half bucks for doing so. John Rahm took home $3.24 million for winning the Masters. You had Jordan Spieth, Patrick Reed, and Russell Henry. Uh, rounding things out with $744,000. It's good to be a golfer at the top oh of the leaderboard for the print Masters. Money. It they is, just it is good. print money. And, and quick rant here. Patrick Cantlay, pick it up. Pick it up. That a lot of people say we needed a pitch Cantlay clock. was completely inexcusable. I understand you want to get every possible angle of your putts, but the group in front of you had surged ahead, and the leaders between Rob and Kepka, who for the better part of that day were dealing against one another, they were just sitting there, yucking it up, talking with their caddies, waiting for him and Hovland to pick the pace up. Like, let's go, bro. Like, if you were winning, that's one thing, but you weren't. You right. weren't. You went out there. Where is he? Patrick Canley. He went out there and he shot 75. You needed five and a half hours to shoot 75, three over par. Now, that's coming from a guy who wouldn't break 150 <laughs> in those conditions. So I should probably tailor it back a little bit. That's but, how the man, sports that pace talk thing works. Brutal. Brutal. We don't, we don't have to be able to do it ourselves. We just have to be able to talk bleep about you when you're doing it. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It was, it was too slow. It needed a pitch block. It was ridiculous. Speed things up. Let's go already. The phone lines are open. If you're interested in joining the conversation, phone lines are quiet tonight. Triple eight, say ESPN. But our friend Terrence from Georgia is coming through, so I'm just going to go straight to Terrence. Hey, Terrence, thanks for the call tonight. What do you got hey, for how us? How are you? I'm glad that, I'm glad that you're on. Uh Carson went. I mean, Carson Palmer. Come on, man, dude. What do you? You can't see. Uh, Patrick Mahomes beat two Super Bowl teams on one leg, and he's not the best. Come on, man. 
Give me a break. <laughs> yes, Carson Palmer. Th- thanks, Terrence. We are up against it. Carson Palmer uh, said that Joe Burrow is the best quarterback in the league over, of course, the Patrick Mahomes. Carson Palmer also yeah. played for the Cincinnati Bengals. Gonna need to build a better, stronger case the next time he says that. Because I, I, I can understand if you want to, if you want to hype him up, if you want to go with your boy. But at the same time, you're gonna need better evidence. Like there just wasn't a good enough case laid out at all. Yeah, it was just basically like he's really good. I mean, he broke down some of his attributes, but, I mean, you just can't deny the the resumes. The resumes just are not comparable. I'm really glad that James Steele is not here today for this very obnoxious conversation about Patrick Mahomes, his quarterback, and the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> I mean, he would just be uh, How do we know he's not intolerable. in Georgia? He could be That's calling true. in Terrence in Georgia. He could be. He could be. Sam Pierce has been filling in for James Steele, doing a spectacular job today. Coming up next... Freddie and Fitzsimmons, they do a spectacular job. This has been Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app. This has been the Joe and Amber podcast. You can listen to Joe and Amber live weeknights from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern. Plus, you can listen on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, or on your smart speaker. Joe and Amber, the podcast.